Hallelujah. Are you happy? Oh, that's good. If you're not, that's okay too, because God knows exactly what's going on and he knows how to comfort you. And that's a good thing. You don't have to pretend with God. You don't have to put on a mask. I remember once um, going to a pastor's uh, meeting in Los Angeles with friends of ours in the um, apostolic team that I'm a part of over there. And I walked in and I was going through a really hard time, going through some really difficult things personally, but I had my pastor hat on and I went into the meeting with my pastor hat on, you know, and hi everybody, how are you? Nice to see you, nice to see you. And then my friend Charles Stock saw me and he says, Catherine, and you know, put his arms out, gave me a hug, I burst into tears. I thought, how did that happen? I had it so under control. How did he get under my skin? Actually, it, it, it surprised me so much that I went home afterwards into my hotel room and I went, God, how did he get under my skin? And the Lord said, because he carries my presence and in my presence you feel safe. And it's so true. When I get behind closed doors and I'm alone, totally alone with God, I'm safe. I can be absolutely real. I can cry my heart out and he interprets my tears. I call them liquid prayers. He knows exactly what's going on. I can, I can vent my frustrations to him and I can hear his voice speaking life, speaking truth. And I can, I can, he is closer than the most best friend you could have. He knows me. He gets me. I don't even have to catch him up with where I'm up to or explain myself to him because he knows. He knows everything and he loves me anyway. Hallelujah. He cares deeply about me and he wants to tell me the truth about how he sees me and who I am. And, and that's the, the privilege and the joy of having the comforter with us, to walk with us, talk with us. He says he's jealous to help us. That's because he knows you better than anybody else does. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows exactly how to strengthen you, how to encourage you. The word of God says those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. A man up on wings as eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. Why? Because he knows exactly the right places to support you. He knows exactly how to comfort, uh, comfort you and encourage you, inspire you, give you the strength that you need. So I pray today that as, as I share, the Holy Spirit would encourage you, that you would look to him for your help. Hallelujah. He's our ever-present help in time of need. And my time of need is all the time. Hallelujah. Actually, if you all realize that your time of need is all the time too, you would get help all the time. Because when you think you're rich and full and have need of nothing, I'm right, she'll be right, mate, no worries. Then you don't reach out and get help. If you go, I need help, 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 comfort me, cuddles, cuddles, I need cuddles. He's there like, ah, so glad you asked. You think that's weakness? Well, in your weakness, he wants to be strong. But if you want to be arrogant, say, oh, no, I'm fine, I'm no, I don't need anything. He's like, all right, you sure? Really, really want to help? 
And this is the heart of God, that we would be able to be transparent with him. You know, we can't be vulnerable with everybody, but we can be completely vulnerable with him because he is completely safe. Hallelujah. And he loves you. He's not, he's not shocked and horrified when you tell him the deep things of your soul. He doesn't go, oh, I can't believe you thought that. I can't believe. Oh. He's not surprised. Like Graham Cook says, he's not disillusioned with you because he never had any illusions about you in the first place. Hallelujah. In fact, he just loves you. He looks at you, you tell him your worst stuff and he'll look at you and go, you're so lovely. Because he'll tell you the truth of who you are in him. It's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. He's so kind, our God. He likes to speak that way to us. I, I tell the story about when I was um, with my first, getting my first book published and they'd rung me up to we were halfway through the process of the book being published. It was going to be released in a few months. And um, someone from the company rang me up and they wanted me to tell all my uh, things that I was doing about my platform. And as Aussies, we sort of, we don't, we're not really that good at selling ourselves, you know, promoting ourselves. So I just said a few things I was doing. And then I got an email saying, we've just decided to cancel your contract. I'm like, ah! I wrote back saying, I've announced on three different continents on television that a book's coming out in a couple of months. And then a couple of days later, I got an email back saying, we didn't know you'd been on television in three different continents. We're very sorry. Yes, your, your contract is fully restored. Please have, uh, you know, our compliments. We're very sorry about that. Um, but then they rang me up again and said, now, can you tell us everything you're doing? And so I spent about 20 minutes telling him about all the things that were coming up in my itinerary. And I felt really uncomfortable about it, you know. And so afterwards I was talking to the Lord saying, oh, God, you know, I feel a bit uncomfortable about that. I think it, you know, I don't want to get into this slippery slope of self-promotion, Father. You know, I don't want to be self-promoting. Oh, God, oh, God, I think I'm going down the slope of self-promotion, God. I, for about 20 minutes I agonized out loud verbally with him about my concern that I'm getting into this, buying into this self-promoting thing. And so finally, when I'd stopped talking, <laughs> praise the Lord, he is, he's the safest one to do my verbally pro verbal processing with. And I would recommend that he's probably the safest one for you to do that with also. Finally, when I stopped talking, I sat down, I was at a friend's um, farm, ranch, in Augusta, Georgia, and I sat down in a rocking chair overlooking a lake, and suddenly I heard the voice of God, and he said, you're kind. I said, what? What on earth has that got to do with the slippery self of self slope of self-promotion that I've been just talking to you about for 20 minutes? I was expecting him to give me some wisdom to get out of this terrible predicament that I was finding myself in and, you know, agreeing with me. Yes, it was bad, but I do forgive you. He didn't say anything like that. He said, you're kind. But as I stopped to think about it, I realized that is who he is. He, we come and we tell him how terrible we are. And he comes and he tells us, actually, I want to tell you the truth about you now. This is who you are. It's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. God is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. So I want you to stop 
talking about yourself as though you're this, that, and the other. And I want you to come into agreement with what I say about you, that you are as I am in this world. I am kind. So you are kind. You are patient. You are long-suffering. You have the motives of Christ. You see, as he speaks like that to us, we adjust our thinking. And the goodness and kindness of God will lead us to repentance anyway. Hallelujah. But as we hear his voice and the way that he speaks to us, we change our thinking and we start to believe what he says. As a man then thinks in his heart, so is he. Hallelujah. We've been speaking about the power of words for the last couple of weeks and the power that we have when we speak and what what happens with the words that we say. Now, the Bible says that we were created in the image of the one who created the world with his words. And so we have power as believers If it's no longer we who live, but God who created the world with his words, who lives in us, our words are powerful. And we can create and shape our world. We can create what's about to happen with our words. We can speak. The Bible says that if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, or a fig tree uprooted and and be planted elsewhere, we have the power to speak to it and see it come to pass. Knowing that, we need to steward every word that we say with wisdom and purpose. We need to be purposeful. You know, I remember when I was a a little girl, about six years old, mum and dad were divorced and I didn't get to see much of my dad. But he dropped in for about 15 minutes to my little birthday party. And I remember he only had this little tiny window of time but I remember him saying you have beautiful eyes and I think all these years later I can remember those words because they were words spoken from somebody that meant so much to me and they were words of kindness and love God understands this He understands that we are his children. He is our father and he understands the power that his words have upon us. So don't be expecting him to speak negative things about you. He's smarter than that. He calls those things that be not as though they are. And he speaks words of love and kindness. Hallelujah. We need to be very careful with our words. Hallelujah. We, we need to be very careful, particularly as parents, what we say to our children. We need to be calling out the gold. I mean, everybody can easily, you know, talk about dirt and problems and recognize issues. But it takes a really gifted person to be able to call out the gold in people, to be able to look for the treasure and speak it. You know, if you will focus on what is pure and lovely and of a good report, it's those things that will develop. I spoke on Friday night about the story of Pollyanna and where she was an orphan girl who went into a, um, a town and she would play what she called the glad game. She'd learned it from her missionary parents and they'd, been, they'd get sent, uh, you know, care packages and She was hoping one day she'd get a doll, but she got something else instead. 
crutches, I think. And she was like, very disappointed. So her parents said, let's play the glad game. What could we be happy about getting crutches instead of a doll? And then she was like, oh, we could be happy that we don't need them. And she just developed this little glad game about finding something to rejoice in, something to be happy about. And she would deliberately make friends with people that were rejected by other people by simply finding something good in them, overlooking the problems and the issues, bearing, as it would say in Galatians, with their weaknesses, but focusing on the things that God had put within them, the treasure. And what you focus on is what develops. If you've got a child or a spouse or a brother or a sister that you're continually thinking about what you don't like about them, what you don't like is what they're going to manifest more and more towards you. We need to focus on what we want to see developed and we need to use our words with that. Hallelujah. Mother Teresa said, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but the echoes are truly endless. And it's so true. A kind word doesn't take a lot of effort, but I can tell you it could mean so much to somebody. It could change their day. It could change their whole life. People value genuine love, genuine encouragement, because love is from God. Hallelujah. When we love somebody else with our words, when we are kind with our words, what we are doing is we are revealing the nature of the Father to them. And we need to be generous with our words, with our kindness. You could, if you've got the choice of saying something kind or staying silent, then it's better that you speak and be kind. But my grandmother used to tell me, if you haven't got anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I put it on my public page on the Facebook, a little um, animation of Thumper from Bambi. And his mum saying, Thumper, do you remember what your father said? He said, ah, if you haven't got something nice to say, don't say nothing at all. And it's a little truth, but it's a very powerful truth because our words, when we, spoke, when we speak a negative word, what we're doing is we are creating with our words. And the Lord is looking for us to call those things that be not as though they are. Hallelujah. You want to see change. Your criticism isn't going to change somebody, but your words can. The Lord's looking for us to speak like he, he speaks. Hallelujah. James chapter 1, verse 26 says this. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, we need to be careful to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. We are living in a, a culture that thrives on negativity. Drama, a negative story, a scandal, gossip. The, the news stations love it. 
wow, isn't that shocking? It's terrible. They pretend to be horrified, but actually they know the ratings are going to go sky high and they want to see how much detail they can get about the sordid story because people want to know the details. Because sadly, in the world, we rejoice with evil in that we get interested in hearing about the evil deeds dark, done in darkness. But in the kingdom, we're told to keep our minds set on things above. We're told to meditate on things that are pure and lovely and of a good report, whatever is noble. Think on these things, the Bible says. And so we need to be vigilant not to get sucked into the world's way of thinking and the world's way of speaking and the world's way of behaving, but instead embrace a kingdom culture that is full of love. Scripture says in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 that if you can, you can prophesy and know all mysteries, you can know the deep things of God, but if you haven't got love, you're nothing. You might be able to argue somebody, debate somebody theologically and win hands down every time. But if you don't know how to speak love, if you don't know how to be loving, then it's all worthless. It's just hot air. Because people will remember your love more than they'll remember your argument. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says this, Love suffers long and is kind. Love doesn't envy, it doesn't parade itself, it's not puffed up. Doesn't behave rudely, it doesn't seek its own, it's not provoked, it thinks no evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We know that God is love, so this is a definition of God. You could say God suffers long and is kind. God doesn't envy. God doesn't parade himself, isn't puffed up, doesn't behave rudely, doesn't seek his own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. As he is, so are we in this world. So this is also your definition. It's something you can declare. You can speak it out because God is love and it's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Therefore, I suffer long and I am kind. I don't envy. I don't parade myself. I'm not puffed up. I don't behave rudely. I don't seek my own. I'm not provoked. I think no evil. I don't rejoice in iniquity, but I rejoice in truth. I bear all things. I believe all things. I hope all things. I endure all things. God wants you to get into agreement with what he says you are. You might say, well, I don't think I could say that in good faith. You know, I'm not really measuring up to that. Happily, you're not defined by your performance. You're defined by the performance of Jesus. Happily, you don't get to earn this definition. You simply died. We're buried and rose again and got to take on his nature. And therefore, you, this is now the definition of your new nature. The Lord is looking for you to remind yourself. And that often requires you preaching to your own soul. Hey, soul, why are you downcast? Hope in God. I'm not, I'm not walking by my feelings. I walk by faith, by the faith of the Son of God that you gave me. So, hey, I'm going to tell you some truth. Emotions line up with this. You are lovely. You are kind. 
the enemy saying you weren't kind the other day. Well, I said sorry about that. Thank you, Jesus. I am kind. I'm not defined by how I behaved. I'm not rude. I am beautiful in his sight. I am as righteous as God. Then he goes, I know what you did the other day. I can turn around and say, thank you, Jesus, that the grace of my Lord Jesus Christ covers me. I am forgiven. I am clean. He is separated from me as far as the east is from the west. As he is, so am I in this world. He is altogether righteous. He is so holy. And so am I. Hallelujah. Because by the blood of Jesus, I now have become one with him. His identity is my identity. Hallelujah. I am as righteous as God. Can you say that? If you, I wonder how many actually believe it. It's a scary thing for some people to say. They think, well, that's proud. Well, I've got nice news for you. You're not proud either. You think, well, if I start going down this track, won't I get a big head? No, you're dead. (laughs) It's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. If you actually start letting your emotions believe this, you won't get proud. You'll get on your face and go, holy, holy God, I love you. You'll be undone by his goodness and you'll say, what can I give? I give you everything. And he goes, I give you everything. And you just get lost in the glory of his love. Highly recommended. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says this. You must let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth but only what is beneficial for the building up of the one in need, that it may give grace to those who hear. No unwholesome word. As I've been going through what it looks like to love, love thinks no evil is a wonderfully challenging concept. Now, I I don't know about you, but I was pretty much raised to have an opinion about everything. My, My dad, he was a philosophical guy is a philosophical guy and he'd play devil's advocate about everything I thought and so that I'd have to try and state my case and I became a very good debater. I quite enjoyed a good debate and I'd have an opinion about everything. I was good at arguing. But you know what? Being able to have an opinion about everything, being able to argue isn't necessarily a good thing when it comes to having opinions about people because the Bible talks about not saying things that would hurt another person. It talks about being kind with what we say. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 says this, Judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it'll be judged back to you. Luke 6 verse 37 says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not. You shall not be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it'll be given to you. Press down, good measure, press down, shaken together and running over, it'll be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus, when he had the opportunity to judge with the woman who was caught in adultery, he refused to do it. James chapter 4 says, Verse 11 says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. 
He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. John chapter 3, verse 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but that the world through him would be saved. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. And yet we're pretty good at passing judgment. You ask anybody's opinion about particular politicians or celebrities. Generally, we've got an opinion ready to go. I don't like this about them and I don't like this and I don't like that. And I, I find myself that I can very easily fall into this trap. I'm, I'm having judgments and I've formed opinions and I've actually developed a dislike for people I have never met listening to the media. Well, I don't like them because of this, this, and this. This is not the way of the kingdom. God wants us not to be corrupted by the way of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of his word in our minds that we would think differently, that we would behave differently. We need to become like Thumper in Bambi and say, well, if I haven't got anything nice to say, I shouldn't say anything at all. We need to start to be people who will deliberately choose to dwell on what is pure and lovely and of a good report. Hallelujah. Thessalonians um, says something very interesting. In Thessalonians, First um, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, he says this, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you may increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Hallelujah. God says, hey, you need to mind your own business. A lot of people can get a lot of opinions about a lot of things. But I tell you, the heart of the Father is not that we'd be so smart and puffed up with what, at what we know, but that rather we would be able to say a kind word. I shared a story the other night about my friend Sapraza Sitoli. I was doing a conference with him. I think, Pastor James, you might have been with me on that one uh, down in Adelaide. And we were sitting around a table having dinner with a bunch of uh, ministers and that uh, someone's name came up and a number of them had opinions about this person, this particular minister who was doing some things that not everyone agreed with. And they sort of had him for dinner. And I was watching Surprise, Surpraiser. And he, uh, he, when asked his opinion, because people knew that he knew him, he said, he's a good man. And that's all he had to say. And I stopped him afterwards. I said, I, I said, surprise. That was amazing. I really appreciated the way that you did that. That, you know, everybody knows you could have had a negative opinion and you just you just said he's a good man. And he said, Well, I decided at the beginning of the year that I didn't want to speak evil of anybody. 
I thought, oh, I want to practice that. I was talking with Trevor on Friday night, and he was telling me a story by Kenneth Hagen um, about a man that he knew when he was small. In his town, there had been a, a wicked guy or that had been always getting into trouble, stabbing people, doing bad things, and eventually he was killed uh, by a policeman. And everyone was saying, oh, he was so terrible, what a terrible man he was, good thing that he's gone. But there was this one man who said nothing more than, he had nice eyes. And 50 years later, Kenneth Hagen saw this man, and he'd never been sick a day in his life. Now, there's something that happens in your soul when you determine not to feast on what is evil, but to stay focused on what is pure and lovely and of a good report. When you determine to speak kind words, it's much easier. And you feel sometimes your, your desire to want to give your opinion can make you feel good about yourself. But it takes a lot more discipline to find something kind to say about somebody when you want to say something opinionated. Too easily we fall into the pattern of the world and judge everybody. We sum them up and we put them in the box. Well, uh, that person, and they do this and that. And I find myself, I've got to keep vigilant about it because if I hear someone's name, I've generally got an opinion about them. And if I'm not careful, bang, I've said what I think about them all. And my words carry weight. And I've just done harm to that person. In fact, I can also judge people for judging other people. That's probably one of the, the things that I fall into most easily. I remember once watching television and there was a guy that was criticizing all the people that I liked, you know, going after Hillsong and they were going after the faith movement. They were going after pretty much anybody I liked. They were just bagging them out. And I was getting so upset watching this television program. I'm like, Tom, it's terrible what he's saying. He shouldn't be saying it's terrible. It's so terrible that he's saying that. And Tom said, turn that rubbish off. I'm not having that playing in my house. What are you doing? <laughs> he said, do you not realize you are doing exactly what you are criticizing him for doing? So I don't know about that. I realized I was actually judging him for judging everyone. And none of it was pure and lovelier of a good report. None of it was taking me to higher levels of revelation and delight. None of it was lining up with righteousness, peace, or joy. It was lining up with my sense of justice. God is more interested in your love than in your opinion. God has an opinion about people. And his opinion is that he wants none to perish, but that all may come to an, a salvation, a knowledge of salvation. We need to get off our high horse and start coming in back with innocent eyes that are looking for something to love, looking for something beautiful, looking for the gold. Because when we do that, we open up the gates for people to come in and receive from the Father. I get grieved when I, I go online. I, like, I went to look up that story about Kenneth Hagen today. I'm like, page, I'm trying to find it, but I had to go through the pages of all the nastiness. It's like nasty, nasty. He's a devil, he's a devil, he's a devil. It's like, I don't think he's a devil. 
And I, it's so sad that most of that stuff comes from Christians. By this shall all men know that we're his disciples, that we love one another. But actually, when someone who's not a Christian goes to Google another Christian, they can be very shocked by the fact that Christians don't actually love each other. They're very unkind. Do you know, somebody who's not a believer, someone on the outside isn't looking and thinking about the difference in your theology. All they see is Christian, Christian, nasty. I don't want anything to do with that. We need to be wise because what we are doing, the world is watching. We need to be deliberate to speak words of life to speak hope, to speak truth, to speak kindness. Hallelujah. Because the heart of the Father is that he would be seen on the earth. You might not agree with somebody's theology, but if they are naming the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be very careful, very careful with your words. You don't know that two seconds ago they may have repented for whatever it is that you don't like about them and you're suddenly calling evil what God calls good. You have suddenly become an enemy of God when you are going against those that are loved by him. I tell you, my children, they're pretty awesome. But if somebody wanted to criticize them and I hear about it, it's not going to go down well because they're mine and they are altogether lovely. You see, when you start to criticize somebody, even if they're doing something wrong, when you use your words to try and change them with your judgment, you're not going to get a change. You're going to get a reaction. You want to see real change? Let them feel love so that they can come in and in his presence see the light. It's in his light we see light, not when we're being hit by the stones that Christians are throwing at us. John 13, 34. Well, actually, let me just, we'll go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. In verse 12, it says, That you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. He's saying, mind your own business. Work with your hands. Means get a job. Good thing. Hallelujah. Believe him for help to, to, to provide all your needs. And mind your own business. Because he's, he's concerned that people who are outside of the kingdom need to see what true Christianity looks like. True Christianity is not getting up on your high horse and getting on the internet and writing a blog about what you hate about your fellow brother or sister. True Christianity isn't having an opinion about every person. True Christianity is loving God and loving people. Hallelujah. And the world is looking to see this. Jesus was the friend of sinners. Hallelujah. He's looking for somebody who would believe that now as he is, so are they in the world. That's why he wants so much for us to come into agreement with for how he sees us. Because when we start believing that we are like him, we'll start behaving like him. 
And he's kinder than anybody you've ever met. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you also, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's a pretty tall order. As I have loved you, love one another. Like, that's not toleration. Okay, I love you. Brother, sister, bless you. Sister, whatever. I have to have anything to do with you. As I have loved you, love one another. Well, I could, you know, I can love my husband. He's lovely. I could love my children. What? You mean love all the brethren? As you love me? Like, that's pretty extreme. Well, praise God, it's no longer Catherine who lives, but Christ who lives in Catherine. That means suddenly I have the capacity to love everybody. In fact, I have the capacity to love my enemies because that's who he is. Hallelujah. I have the capacity to forgive. I have the capacity to be kind. I have the capacity to choose to focus on what is pure and lovely and of a good report. I have the capacity to choose to not... Uh, form a judgmental opinion, but to look for what I can love. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. As I have loved you, that you would also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you love, if you have love one for another. You want to be known to be like Jesus? It's not how much theology you know. It's not how good an argument you can bring. It's not how many miracles you can see happen. It's not how many people you've brought to Christ. Though all of those things are good. It's have you learned to love? Are you known as a loving person? Or are you known as an opinionated person? Are you known as a loving person or are you known as somebody who's very clever? God wants every one of us to be known by our love. That same atmosphere that I ran into when I ran into Charles Stock that day is what God wants every one of us to carry. He carried the atmosphere of heaven. And from that day on, I said, I want to do that deliberately. I want to be aware of what I'm carrying so that I can exhibit where I come from. I am seated in heavenly places with him. I am a citizen of heaven. In the atmosphere of heaven, when I close the door and get alone with God, I feel completely accepted, totally safe, absolutely loved. I'm not afraid at all that God's going to frown at me or rouse at me. I know that he will run toward me, wrap his arms around me, kiss me, love me, encourage me, speak truth to me, help me. And that is the atmosphere of heaven. There's no fear. There's no condemnation. There's no accusation. There's no shame. And that's what we are called to carry. So that when people interact with us, they feel it. They experience it. I used to practice um, after that experience, I'd practice knowing Joseph was coming home from school. I'd, I'd be like, okay, when he opens the door, he's going to experience the atmosphere of heaven. He's going to feel 
the love, the atmosphere, the acceptance of Christ the moment he walks in. I'd practice it before we went to events. Tom's an honorary consul, so we get to go to a lot of events with dignitaries and politicians and things. And instead of thinking about, do I look all right? Is there, have I got any ladders in my stockings? I'd be thinking about as I walked into the, a room, God, what's it going to be like when they shake my hand? I thank you, Lord, that they're going to experience the atmosphere of heaven. They're going to feel the absolute love of Christ. They're not going to feel any judgment. They're going to feel love. They're going to experience the atmosphere of heaven. And in doing so, they're going to want to know more. When people run into your judgment, they don't ask to know more. They ask to get away from you. People don't want to be around judgmental people. They want to be around lovers. They want to be around people who make them feel accepted and loved. Jesus was known as the friend of sinners because and that meant sinners weren't running from him, they were running to him. And the goodness and kindness of God was leading them to repentance because he knew that the key to them coming into the presence of God was not judgment but love. He came into the world not to condemn the world, not to judge the world, but that through him the world would be saved. God hasn't sent you into the world to sum them all up with your judgments. He sent you into the world that you might be a gate to which they can come to Jesus. Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the word. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help each one here experience your great love. Lord, that they would come into agreement with how you feel about them that they might have the capacity to give what they are freely and continually receiving. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you shed your love abroad in our hearts. Spirit of God, I'm asking that you would strengthen each one here. Father, that you'd grant them, Lord, the Holy Spirit to give them supernatural grace to know what is the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Lord, that they truly know Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith, that they'd know it and believe it as more than a theological concept, but as a present-day, everyday reality. Lord, let your people come into a revelation that they have been crucified with you, buried with you, raised up with you, that it's no longer they who live, but you who live in them, that they might know you in ever-increasing way and manifest you in their everyday Lord, I'm asking that you would help them to know what is the height and the depth and the width and the breadth, the unending, infinite ocean of your love, that they would live in a different dimension, that they would live continually in the dimension of your magnificent love, that you would fill them all up to overflowing with all the fullness of God. Now unto you who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above, All we can ask, hope, or imagine, to you be glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations. And everybody said, Amen. Amen, amen.